It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. What's up, y'all? It's your man Jay Hicks. Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast is back with another Mark Draft edition ahead of the 2021 NBA Draft. We're recording this on Wednesday evening, July 28th, 24 hours away is the NBA draft. Not leaving ourselves much time, I know. <laughs> Not leaving ourselves much time for you guys to go ahead and, and take this in. But I want you to drink in the podcast nonetheless because it will quench your basketball thirst. Came at y'all uh, on Facebook, through a Facebook post and I added some video on Twitter. Uh, this was a little while ago, probably um, a couple of weeks ago during the NBA Finals. I believe it was after game three in which Milwaukee won their first of four consecutive games. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I came on and said a whole bunch of stuff talking about how Phoenix was still in control of the series, more or less. <laughs> and uh, it was not my best work, okay? Uh, Milwaukee obviously went on to win four straight. Congrats to them. I wanted to start real quick. Uh, before we get into the NBA draft, uh, just kind of putting a bow on the 2020-2021 season. Uh, first of all, I really... Was you know I mean how could you not be impressed by Milwaukee right which we saw from the Bucks we saw them uh, obviously win four straight games and they did it in a fashion that was very interesting to me because they were able to win in different ways and they proved that you know I thought that game three uh, I didn't think it was a turning point like a lot of people seem to make it feel I actually felt like Phoenix was the more talented team still but. Uh, you know, they had some depth issues that did come up to bite them a little bit as as Sarge went down and, and, and they had some other issues. But uh, primarily, though, uh, when I looked at game three, game three, I thought was the classic. You know, you're down 0-2, you go back home, crowd is raucous, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. You're playing with desperation. You're probably going to get that game if you're even a halfway decent team, right? Game four, I thought Phoenix beat themselves flat out. Uh, Chris Paul was awful in game four and uh, I think he had 10 points wasn't aggressive looked disengaged and all that had the massive turnover late in the game still with a chance to win Phoenix was despite Devin Booker being awful uh, in game three he bounced back big in game four but Chris Paul had the game in his hands fumbled it away on the one turnover led to a layup and that was that game five uh, basically everybody on Milwaukee turned into Larry Bird for two quarters and <laughs> they couldn't miss. I've never seen anything quite like that. Um, I mean, for a team to shoot 71% with the degree of difficulty of the shots that Milwaukee was making and from it coming from a variety of different guys, it wasn't just one guy that was going off. They really earned that victory. And Phoenix still, despite that, had a chance to win and uh, couldn't pull it out in, at the end of game five. And obviously there was a big turnover by Booker, stripped by Holiday. Holiday with the assist to Giannis with the alley-oop and the stare down into the soul of, <laughs> of every basketball fan watch, watching at home. And then obviously game six, uh, Phoenix was there, but, but the, the train left the station at that point. And it was a winnable game, but uh, Giannis just turned into Goliath in front of all of our eyes and did what he did. I don't think that the rationale that a lot of people used to explain why the series had flipped was in fact the actual reason why the series flipped. I really think that the NBA Finals y'all came down to the late game execution in game four and game five. Um, and Giannis as dominant as he was, um, and he was great, but I mean, it really, I mean, those, those games were there to be won by Phoenix. They were right there. Phoenix won by double figures in both of the first two games. 
Game three rolls along. Milwaukee gets that one by 20, roughly, I think it was. Game four and game five is where the series swung. Final seconds inside a minute, Phoenix with the ball and a chance to take the lead. They turn it over and it goes to, for a layup. Game five, same situation with the ball, big comeback, home court, chance to take the lead inside the final minute, turnover leads to a layup the other way. And the final minute of those two games where Milwaukee out-executed Phoenix was the difference in the series. And we can go round and round in circles talking about adjustments and Milwaukee did make some and Coach Bud deserves credit for that. But ultimately, that's pretty much where this thing ended up was the, the late game execution or lack thereof by the Suns and the brilliant late game execution by the Bucks was the difference. And you have to take your hat out to Milwaukee because they won in different ways. They, they won with energy and effort. They won capitalizing on Phoenix's mistakes. They won by shooting the lights out. And they won from an all-time dominant performance from their superstar. That's four different ways they beat the Suns in four consecutive games. I'm not sure Phoenix lost four consecutive games all season, and Milwaukee did it. So you got to take your hat off to them. Giannis is in a whole new echelon of players, obviously, with this performance. We have to look at him a little bit differently. I don't. I hate to be that reactive about it. I really, really, really hate to be that reactive about it. But we have to kind of look at it that way to a certain degree, because um, Giannis is. Uh, what he did in that series is something that we really haven't seen in a long, long time. And now when you look at his career accomplishments, you know, again, I don't always like to just compare resumes and determine a player's greatness based off resume strictly. But resume is a very good indicator oftentimes. And when you look at Giannis's resume, you're talking about a former defensive player of the year, two-time MVP, NBA champion, finals MVP. I think the only person, other person who's ever done that is Michael Jordan. <laughs> so if you're in a list of one guy, maybe Akeem Olajuwon, I think, also may have done that. So we're talking about two to three guys all time have ever done that, and Giannis has now accomplished that feat. It's it's tremendous, and so you can't say enough about him. Uh, as far as the Suns, it was a fun ride. You guys know I was pulling for Phoenix. I was pulling for Chris Paul this whole time. And so it was, uh, as somebody who's been a Chris Paul fan, frankly, for cause just for, for, the, for the way that I appreciate his game uh, over the course of the last 15 years, um, you know, it was difficult to watch him go down in that fashion. A couple things real quick on, on the Suns, though. Uh, they had a great year. Uh, Aiden kind of faded away in, in the series. Bridges had a huge game, too. Then he kind of disappeared. Um, Phoenix blew two great Jay Crowder games back-to-back. -back. I believe it was game three and four that Crowder was great, and, uh, and they couldn't capitalize on that. Um, and then the big thing comes back to the backcourt, right? So Chris Paul and Devin Booker had to greatly outplay Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton if they were going to win this series and they just did not do that frankly you know Middleton and Holiday you know, Holiday was spotty at times Middleton kind of came and went at times but Chris Middleton was the best player for either team in crunch time in this series and he averaged 24 6 and 5 for the series uh, Drew Holiday averaged 16 and 9 but obviously he was exerting so much energy on defense that it was understandable why his shot may have been off a little bit but Chris Paul and Booker, um, they really had to, they really had to be special in order to win this series, and they were not quite special, and hence they did not win. But uh, of course, immediately what you saw is because Chris Paul is a superstar, uh, everybody kind of put the put the blame on him, like oh Chris Paul again, his team blew another 2-0 lead, and nobody has ever blown more 2-0 leads. All that's all those statistics are garbage. Please don't pay attention to them, okay? Um, as far as some of those 2-0 series, one of them was against Memphis in, I think, 2013, where Blake Griffin was injured 
and uh, barely played in game four and five or five and six, whatever it was. Uh, another series, Blake and Chris Paul himself got injured and uh, and they missed the rest of the series. So it's like, how are you going to hold it against Chris Paul that he, air quote, blew a series when he wasn't even on the court? So that's another one that happened. Um, there, there's all these different injuries that Chris Paul has had to deal with over his career. Even this year. You know how unlucky Chris Paul is? He dealt with all that stuff, and this is considered the year that he got all the breaks. That's how unlucky Chris Paul has been in his career. That you could have torn ligaments in your shooting hand. That you could catch COVID despite being vaccinated. And that you could injure your shoulder in the first half of the first game of the playoffs, and it screw you up for pretty much the entire opening round series. All those things happen to Chris Paul. <laughs> and he, I think he had something else. He had his wrist looked at, I think. And it may have even had an ankle or something. All that stuff happened to Chris Paul. And this is the year that he, everybody said he caught breaks. That's how unlucky this guy has been in his entire career. That's been the story of Chris Paul's career, sadly. But we're not going to play that game where we allow uh, people to take away from the accomplishment of winning the Western Conference and going to the NBA Finals for the first time in his career. The benchmark for Chris Paul was always, he can't get out of the second round. He can't get out of the second round. Well, now, not only has he gotten out of the second round more than once, he's made it to the NBA Finals. So we're not going to play this game where we've moved the goalpost on Chris Paul. I ain't going to allow that crap, okay? It's not happening. We're not moving the goalpost on CP3. By the way, who was the best player for the Suns in the NBA Finals? It was Chris Paul or Devin Booker? Well, you might be thinking it was Devin Booker. Devin Booker had two straight 40-point games, right? Devin Booker also shot horribly in the series. Uh, Chris Paul, for the series, uh, uh, shot 54, almost yeah, 54% from the floor and nearly 50% on threes with 22 points and uh, eight assists per game. If you take out his one bad game in game four, Chris Paul's around 24 points, eight and a half assists on over 50% shooting from three and about 57, 58% shooting from the floor. Meanwhile, if you look at Devin Booker's numbers, in the finals, Devin Booker averaged 28 a game, but he shot 45% from the floor, which is pretty decent, but not special by any means. He shot under 27% from three, y'all, which is abysmal for a sniper like Booker. He was 0 for 7 from 3 in the deciding game in game 6. The one game that uh, the Phoenix Suns faced elimination in the entire playoffs, Devin Booker was 8 for 22 from the floor, 0 for 7 from 3, and scored 19 points. In that same game, Chris Paul scored 26 points with 5 assists and shot 58% uh, from the field and 50% on threes, although he only attempted two of them. Uh, and even the turnovers, which was a big storyline throughout the series, the turnovers, Chris Paul's turnovers, uh, he had 21 turnovers in the series. Devin Booker had 20. Chris Paul had one horrible game. Devin Booker had, you could argue, two horrible games at least. Uh, game three, certainly, and probably game six also for Devin Booker. Chris Paul had a crucial turnover in the final minute that cost Phoenix the game. Devin Booker had a crucial turnover in the final minute that cost Phoenix the game. So when you look at the totality of the Suns' performance, if, you're, if, you, if you have to blame somebody, it ain't Chris Paul. I'm here to tell you. 
it's probably Devin Booker who has to get the who has to shoulder the responsibility for this loss. If you have to point the finger at one person, Chris Paul was the best player on the Suns team. He was the best player on the Suns all year. There's a reason why he was top five in MVP voting. We're not going to lay this loss on Chris Paul. He was very good in the finals, just not good enough. And he faced an, he went up against an all time performance from Giannis. So, I mean, you know, these things happen sometimes, but we're not going to hold this on Chris Paul. Let's bring in Mark Hicks to talk NBA drafts. Yeah. All right. And with that, we have Mark Hicks, veteran draft analyst extraordinaire for Hip Hop Sports Support, coming back again with yet another Mark draft where Mark acts as the general manager of every team picking in the lottery and tells us what they ought to do with their pick. I heard Bill Simmons podcast recently. He pretty much ripped off the Mark draft. We've been the Mark draft. We do. We our system predates everybody else. So I don't care what nobody say. This this has been our thing. And everybody else is not playing catch up. But uh, but the Mark draft is back. Mark, I just spent the first uh, few minutes doing an opening where I just covered some thoughts I had on the NBA finals. Um, just, you know, kind of wallowed in the fact that Chris Paul came up short, even though I was I was convinced that this was his year, that everybody's trashing him because they're saying that he lost the series, even though he averaged 22 points and eight assists. <laughs> and shot 55% from the field and, and, and 50, you know, close to 50 from three, uh, you know, but people are still holding it against him. I don't understand it, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's where we're at. So um, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Don't, don't worry about Chris Paul, man. All that stuff is fake news. For yeah, well, you know, I mean, look, I, there, it was not long ago that you were skeptical about the move to Phoenix. And, you know, even I didn't think that he yeah. was going to go all the way to the finals and get within two two W's of a championship. So um, right. the Suns did pretty well for themselves, but congratulations again to the Milwaukee Bucks. But we're not here to cover that. We're here to talk NBA draft. Uh, so, Mark, in the interest of time, I want to dive right into it. But I'm going to throw a little bit of a wrinkle at you for the first time. Uh, instead of going picks one by one by one, I'm going to throw them at you in groups. So okay. I want you to just come out. Uh, I'm going to throw I'm going to mention the team and where they're picking. And then you can just go ahead and dive right on into uh, who you think each team is going to pick. So, I, I, Or should they pick? So you can say, I think the Pistons should take this player. I think the Rockets should take this player. And I think the Cavs can take this player. And then I'm going to react to it. I'm going to call you an idiot. I'm going to praise you for days. We're going <laughs> to open up the discussion. And we're going to, you know, whatever happens, happens. And then we're going to get into it. But we're going to group them in groups of three or four picks at a time. Something like that. Maybe two picks but just to kind of keep the conversation flowing a little bit. How does that sound? That'll work. Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. So with that being said, the Detroit Pistons are on the clock currently. Um, they stink. They've stunk for, for years. Um, Blake Griffin tanked up there pretty much to get out of Dodge. He leaves. He goes to Brooklyn. And all of a sudden, he's a contributor on a championship contender. They gave away Christian Wood for nothing. He goes to Houston, puts together a nice season. They drafted Killian Hayes. He made basically zero dent on anybody's radar. Unless you are really following the NBA closely, you can talk about what Killian Hayes did this past season. But he was their lottery pick last year. Uh, Detroit desperately needed this pick. They're picking one. The Houston Rockets, who, as, as a general franchise, I cannot stand. I've come to that conclusion that I hate the Rockets. And I love the Cleveland Cavaliers because that's my hometown team, and they pick third. And there's a great chance here that 
the Rockets may end up taking away a franchise player that could have been a Cavalier. So I'll just have even more reason to hate the Houston Rockets. But all that aside, Pistons, Rockets, Cavs. Mark, who should each team select in the 2021 draft? Detroit should take Kay Cunningham, point guard from Oklahoma State. There's a lot of different things that they could, uh, directions they could go. I've heard everything from uh, the Pistons taking Jalen Green uh, or the Pistons uh, doing something else with this pick. Uh, if they if they were to take Jalen Green, while it'd be a shocker, I would I'd be all right with it for the most part because, and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, Kay Cunningham is worthy of being selected at this point in. With the number one overall pick in the draft, and I don't see many GMs like having the nerve to take somebody other than him. So that's why I'm going with with uh, with him for the Pistons. And I think the Pistons just need a shot in the arm because they have no star power. The fit with Killian Hayes, as you mentioned. Hold on, right quick. Let me let me stop right there. Uh, before we All dive right. in, in depth on the Pistons, who do you got the Rockets taking? Okay, Rockets, Jalen Green. And then what about the Cavaliers? Um, you get to be you get to be Kobe Altman right now. Your, your boy Kobe Altman. Man, if I was Kobe Altman, uh, I would be better than one. <laughs> but for this for this purpose, I think this is a prime uh, opportunity for the Cavs to trade that pick. Wow! And I, would love, I would love to get to dig in and, and tell you and tell you why. But the player, so, so, the player so, that I have the Go ahead. Oh, I'm well, so so so, do you have them trading the pick, or, or like, would would you trade the pick, or would you select somebody? I would, at three? I would trade. I would trade the pick. I mean, I, I could take. I could sleep at night comfortably taking this player at three, but I think they could get more bang for their buck if they trade this pick. And I and I have a suitor and everything else. So who who I think they should trade it to? But. Yeah, that pick that pick is a prime pick to be traded at three. Okay, so let's stop right there then. So let's let's go let's talk about the Pistons and Rockets first because there have been uh, okay. a lot of uh, trade talk about the Pistons and Rockets. You know, Detroit supposedly within the last few days have still not been sold on Kate Cunningham. We always hear these smoke screens at this point in the draft. I don't see right. them picking anybody but Cade Cunningham here. And for the record, I'm not even sure that that's the way it should go down. And I'm not saying that because I dislike Cade Cunningham. But I also feel like every year, invariably around draft time, we do this thing where a guy just gets slotted to go a certain spot. And then everybody just kind of, there's like a consensus amongst all of the prognosticators, all of the mock draft people, all of the you know, the XGM insider people that are on TV or whatever. And they just kind of all collectively assume that a guy is supposed to go to a certain spot. And then he just has to be the pick because the GM who picks him doesn't want to get fired. Obviously that team is not any good or else they wouldn't be picking in the top one or two picks of the draft. Chances are. And so that general manager, that front office, they don't want to lose their jobs by sticking a neck out for a player that, who is is not the general consensus top player. Uh, it's a, it's much easier for Detroit to select Cade Cunningham and that front office can say, okay, we took the guy that everybody said that we were right. supposed to take, but we didn't roll the dice. But if you roll the dice and say they took Evan Mobley first overall, that's a huge dice roll. And if yes, Cade Cunningham turns out to be a great player, then everybody in Detroit's getting canned. 
in short right. order. And so, uh, but I don't really agree that that's always the way that it should go. I saw, uh, so Mike Schmitz, I think is his name, is the guy from ESPN. Yeah. He, he had his own uh, draft, was he on Draft Express or something like that? He had one of his own draft sites and that guy grinded his way all the way to Bristol. So I kind of have to give him props for that. I saw him Mark's on TV. Wild. Yeah. I, so, so, explain this to me, Mark. I saw him on TV the other day. That guy said that he sees Jalen Green as one day leading the NBA in scoring. Leading the NBA in scoring. Yeah. And, and, he, and in spite of that, he said the Pistons should take Cade Cunningham. Call yeah. me crazy, man. But if you, if you are a future like, league leader in points, you need to be going first. I don't give a damn who you are. You know what I'm saying? I don't give a damn what Cade Cunningham looks like on tape or whatever. Like, if you're telling me that Jalen Green is going to one day lead the NBA in scoring, that means he's a 30-point-per-game scorer or more in this, in this league where, where the defense isn't allowed anymore. He's going to be Correct. scoring 32 points a game one day. And you're telling me that that guy's not the number one pick? You're out of your mind. Yeah. So, so, you know, so again, to bring a full circle, I'm not knocking Cade Cunningham. I think Cade is a guy with an extremely high floor. I just don't know that he is on the level. You know, you know, we, we, we gas these dudes up every time. Remember when Ben Simmons was supposed to be the next LeBron? Remember when Andrew yeah. Wiggins was supposed to be the next LeBron? Next like, LeBron. Yeah, I see a lot of Andrew Wiggins and Cade Cunningham. Like, it, like their, their, their game isn't the, like their game isn't similar. Their right. game isn't exactly similar. But what I mean is, I can see you know at worst Cade being an Andrew Wiggins type player, and Andrew Wiggins is largely considered to be a great disappointment. But yeah, but but Wiggins was not capable of being the leader of a franchise, and, right. and he and he was playing with you know Carl Anthony Towns at the time. So right. I, I, I just don't look at Cade and see future super duper star. But if you're telling me that you're going to pick Cade over a dude that's going to lead the league in scoring, then that dude better be in the Hall of Fame one day. So right. why then, Mark, do you think the Pistons should take Cade Cunningham? Because I think for, for two reasons. Number one, I think uh, maturity level. While I like Jalen Green as a player, um, I think Cade Cunningham, uh, while – he may not never ever lead the uh, league in scoring. I think he's a, he's the type of player that could be a true ambassador for the league. I think he has the mentality to put to take a losing franchise like the Pistons and try to make them into something that's that's actually worthwhile. That actually TNT may want to play a game or two of theirs in the future. I I like Jalen Green, his ability to score, but. There's some couple things that 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 scare me about taking them first, and that's on a maturity level. Um, to go, not to necessarily go into Jalen Green, but Jalen Green, there was a, a record coming out of him, out of his camp, that he didn't want to see any other team pass pass the Rockets. He only interviewed with the Pistons and the Rockets because he felt that he was he was good enough that he did not need to be seen by any other team besides the Rockets and the Pistons because. He felt after Cade Cunningham, nobody on nobody in this draft was better than him. And he actually thought to a certain degree that he was better than Cade Cunningham. So why waste the time of all these other teams wanting to interview him? So he only wanted to interview with both the Pistons and the Rockets. That was it. And I like that to a certain degree because that's a that's a that's a mentality about okay, nobody's better than me. But at the same time, this is a 19-year-old kid who played in the G League and 
while he may while he has the talent to be exceptional, I don't know if he has the mentality per se of taking a bad franchise and making them great. So I'm a little skeptical of taking them first overall. Where I think Kay Cunningham has had to take a, a program like Oklahoma State. Nobody watches Oklahoma State, but they did because <laughs> he was playing. So um, I, I think that's that's part of the reason why I'm if I'm looking if I'm looking from the Pistons' point of view, I'm trying to build my franchise and I'm trying to, to develop a culture there and and a uh, and a standard that's going to go forward. That's going to uh, that's going to attract people to watch Pistons basketball because. After the bad boys, uh, the original bad boys, nobody really wanted to watch the Pistons. And the new edition of bad boys that won the title, I mean, you saw, I mean, some people watched it, but most people were bored by them. I think uh, Cunningham brings a little bit more of excitement to them. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, 30 points a game sounds exciting. So (laughs) I don't give a damn. I don't care how you get it. Like 30 points a game sounds pretty exciting to me. So if you're, again, I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to put, ESPN guys' words on you, but right. if it, but if if, if Jalen Green is going to be one of the top scores in basketball, I just fail to see how he's going to he's not going to be the number one pick. Like, is Cade Cunningham going to be one of the top scores in basketball? Is Cade Cunningham going to be one of the top um, usage rate guys and most efficient playmakers in basketball? Like, kind of like a Luka Doncic. Like, uh, if Cade's not going to be Luka like. I don't see how you pass on a dude who has NBA leading score potential with the number one pick. So, but, but, but Luca, but Luke, uh, K has Luca like qualities. And I think does. that's where he it does. translates. And I think that's where, that's where the key is because so many people, uh, bombed or missed or not drafting Luca when he came out. I think they see a little bit of Luca's uh, game in K Cunningham. And I think that's why they don't want to make the same mistake again. You know what I'm saying? I do. And again, I'm not here to trash Cade Cunningham because I think he's he looks like a fine player. I, I, a buddy of mine I, I work with, uh, he's a he's from Detroit. He's a Pistons fan. And he he's he's like trying to wish Cade into the Hall of Fame already. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I don't know, man. Like, we'll see. Easy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, maybe he maybe he'll get there one day as a Cavs fan. I hope he doesn't. But like, maybe he'll get there one day. But right. I just I don't see that caliber of talent like. You know, this is like so. Here's a good example, a good analogy. Remember the 03 draft? This is a lot like the 03 draft at the top, as far as what we're hearing now, all of a sudden, because you have a guy who can do it all, who's a playmaker and can get his own baskets. You have an unbelievable scoring machine. And then you have who's a little raw in the other areas. And then you have a a, a 6'10, 6'11 kind of, you know, slight and build, but still very skillful, do it all big man. And, right. and those are three of your top picks. So obviously we're talking about LeBron, Carmelo Anthony, and Chris Bosh in 03. Uh, Bosh went uh, fourth. LeBron went first. Carmelo went second. And then in this right. draft, most people are projecting that it's going to go Cunningham, Green, Mobley, one, two, three. Now, my point being, everybody knew that Carmelo Anthony coming out of the draft was going to be an exceptional score. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew that. And guess what? Carmelo Anthony today is like eighth in NBA history in points. So it would have been perfectly justifiable for the Cavaliers to have taken Carmelo Anthony number one in the NBA draft that year. Carmelo actually went third, not second. Um, It would have been justifiable for the Cavs to take Carmelo in that draft number one overall, except for the fact that there was an all-time talent 
in, also in that draft. So Correct. again, if you're going to pass on a guy who we know is a certified bucket on the NBA level, Jalen Green averaged like 18 a game against grown men in the G League. Like, say what you will about the G League. That's a professional league. That's better That's better caliber competition than anything Cade Cunningham saw at Oklahoma State, you know? That's true. He ain't playing Texas A&M or, you know what I mean, or Kansas <laughs> State. You know, he's playing against grown men looking for a meal. That's who Jalen Green was getting buckets against. How much does that matter to you, as a matter of fact, while we're on that subject? Is, is, that, a, is that a big difference maker for you? It's, it's, uh, it, it matters a lot. Um, I, uh, and that's why I, where Mike Schmidt talks about him possibly being, you know, that type of, of a score in the league. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards agreeing with him just because of the fact that you already have a year on his belt playing against grown men, like you said, who, who's trying to get a second contract, who's trying to get a meal, who's taking, trying to take care of their kids and, and the mortgages and everything else. So I can, but, the, and this kid has been getting buckets since he walked into the building with the Ignite. So I, I'm of the belief that he can score on the NBA level and he can play on the NBA level and he could be a fixture for the next 10 to, 10 to 15 years in the league. Um, but I understand why the Pistons or, or somebody who has the number one pick would want to go with a guy like Cunningham because he has all the tools to become great. And I think with, uh, the only thing that you don't know is how is how he's been able to play against NBA players. But you know, you that's that's the risk that's the risk you have to take. And the thing that you have to do with your scouting department, they have to be the ones to really test this kid out and make sure that he fits. Because quite honestly, if he doesn't, if they have any doubt whatsoever, they should take Jalen Green number one. That's just my personal opinion. If they have any doubts. But I think at the end of the day, I think uh, Kay Cunningham's skills was never going to be a great fit for college basketball. But I think his his style of play and his his talent that he has, which is all, which is Luca like, LeBron like that type of thing, could actually work in the NBA. And I think somebody like that would be a good fit for the Pistons. This draft actually mirrors the 03 draft more than I even realized because once again we have the yeah. Pistons, Cavaliers, and Raptors picking in the top four, just like we did in 2003. Um, except it was in 03 that the Pistons had the second pick and they ended up with Darko. And that did that did Darko <laughs> that didn't, didn't work out so good. <laughs> no, no, there's no 30 for 30s on Darko happening anytime soon. Not at all. Um, like 15 for 15. Man. Um <laughs> So, so, okay. So Jalen green. Uh, so again, Kate Cunningham, you know, great mid range game. Great. Uh, he can get his own shot. He can find other people has a great feel for the game. Great size, uh, has, has all the uh, marks of a good defender. Um, his leadership has, has been, um, heralded coming into the draft. So a lot to like there, Jalen green, explosive athlete. Uh, he can jump out of the gym, really strong dribble to his right can really finish with his right hand very strong um has a funny looking release on his on his jumper uh to yeah, me yeah. His, his jumper looks a little funny coming out of his hands especially from three but it goes in I, I will say that as funny as his jumper looks the ball hits the net differently on his jump shot i swear to god if you watch enough Jalen yeah. green highlights the ball goes through the net differently on his jumper than it does other people's in my estimation. But uh, I don't know what that no, means. I agree with you. I don't know what that means. It probably means nothing. But uh, 
but Jalen Green can hoop. Uh, and so that brings us to the Cavs. And we always spend a lot of time on the Cavs for a couple of reasons. One, we're both from Cleveland, born and raised. And two, uh, you know, the Cavs are often in the lottery. So we always spend yeah. a lot of time on the, on the Cavaliers, you know, the, outside of that four-year stretch they had recently. They've been in the lottery every single year. So, um, you know, we know about the Cavs. Uh, the Cavs situation, basically in a nutshell, y'all, they don't know who they want to be, even still. Even when they make a great move, like like stealing Jared Allen out of the James Harden to Brooklyn trade and the Cavs somehow, you know, sneak out of the back door with Jared Allen. They don't even know what they want to do with Jared Allen. You know, they had Drummond on the team at the time. They brought in Allen. You know, that didn't work so well. They want Allen to be their guy of the future. They want to pay him. But now there's reports that he wants one hundred million dollars or whatever, which is absurd. Uh, as much as I like Jared Allen, that's 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 lunacy to pay him one hundred million dollars. But now the Cavs. He's a restricted free agent, so the Cavs are kind of in a position where they're going to have to match whatever he gets out there, and he could very well get $100 million or close to it. And in this scenario, Mark, uh, Evan Mobley is on the board, who some people will tell you is the best player in this draft. You're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, that the Cavs should trade the pick, which breaks my heart as a Cavs fan, Mark, primarily because, let all the experts tell it, this is a three-player draft. And this is not the NFL. So packaging a bunch of picks to move up is something that doesn't really happen too much. So packaging a bunch of stuff, you know, I don't know what move you have on your radar. <laughs> it sounds like you've got something on your radar, though. So I'm anxious to I hear do. it. Okay. Well, you pretty much uh, spoke everything that I need that I need to know about the, everybody that needs to know about the cast. And just uh, just for uh, reference, I'm wearing a respect shirt tonight. While I'm oh, the respect shirt, yes, yes, sir, got to wear it. The respect shirt for those of you who are not aware, the respect shirt is the 2016 NBA championship shirt of the Cleveland Cavaliers. That is the respect shirt. You 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 instantly got respect in 2016 when wearing that shirt. Yes, sir, absolutely. So I'm wearing that tonight. Uh, But it, it just goes to show you how much is how much has happened in the last five years. And it, it's just, yeah. it's so terrible. With <laughs> but there's a, as bad as, and as much as I can't stand Kobe Altman as a GM, I think he has a chance to save face. And the reason why I say that is because even though Evan Mobley is probably the, the in my opinion, he should, he will be the pick at three. If everything goes the way it has with one and two, he's going to be the pick at three, whether it's the cast picking him or somebody else. Because I think that, like you say, it's not a three-player draft, but I think it's the those are the three most notable players, and I think those are the three that's getting the most headlines. My thing for the Cavs is, is I think you can you can get more bang for your buck with that number three pick, if uh, instead of just going for Evan Mobley, because at this point you, if you're drafting Evan Mobley and you're keeping Jared Allen, that means Evan Mobley is going to be your four. You still have Kevin Love there. You still have Larry Nance Jr. there, which you can't get rid of Kevin Love. I, I, I'll be shocked if they're able to get rid of him in that huge contract. Um, Nance is a, is a good enough asset, but he's more of a, a, a off-the-bench type of guy than a starter. And I don't know necessarily if Evan Mobley would even fit. It, uh, his skills would fit well with Jared Allen. I don't know for sure. So for me, I want to trade the pick. Now, there's two teams that are that I would be eyeing for if if I'm the Cavs and willing if they're willing to to make the deal with. One is the uh, one is the Magic, and the, uh, because they have picks number five and eight, 
and the Thunder have like three picks, but I think their main two picks are six and 16 or something like that. So for me, in this mark draft, I made the trade with the Magic. The Magic move up from uh, from pick number five to pick number three, but also had to give up pick number eight. And I don't know if that's if that truly is enough. The Cavs may have to give something else, and I, I'm willing to do that just because. So then at three, the Magic will end up taking Evan Mobley. And then and because of his, his, his special skills and traits, they really don't have anybody on the front court besides Jonathan Isaac. So they need another front court player. And I think you put this kid um, up there with Jonathan, Jonathan Isaac, you, you begin to have a front court that's very athletic, um, who can actually uh, do some sort of rim protection. They're not necessarily centers, but they're more like stretch threes and fours. But you can put them on the front line and you can have a formidable front line together because I think Evan Mobley's uh, talents matches with uh, Jonathan Isaac. So I think that's a good potential there. Um, there is the opportunity because he has ups, because Mobley has upside that he could be a special player. But I, I'm i not sure he fits with what the Cavs are doing. So that's why I'm making that deal. Um, when we, uh, I guess when we get down to where the Magic supposed to pick, that's where I'll show you where I, what I would do if I was a Cavs. But the, for me, the Cavs, it's advantageous for them to try to trade the pick with the with the magic because of those two picks. Um, the Thunder on a, on a on a lesser side. I, I personally think if the Thunder is the only team that's really wanting to do it, I would rather stay where I am and just and take who I need to take. But for for this for this particular mark draft, I'm trading with the Magic and I'm, I'm letting the Magic take Evan Mobley. So uh, you said a lot there, um, and so when I look at First of all, uh, as a Cavs fan, personally, I would not be happy with that decision. And that doesn't mean that you that's the wrong decision necessarily, but because obviously we don't know how these players are going to shake out yet. But I would not make that move. If I were running the Cavs, and this is the Mark draft, not the Justin draft, but uh, if I were running the Cavs, I would stay there and select Evan Mobley. I'm not overthinking it. A lot of people believe that Evan Mobley is the best player in this draft. He's a fluid athlete. He rebounds. He blocks shots. He can pass for a big man. He can score. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be – I don't know if he's, like, ever going to be the number – like, your best player. I don't know if he's got that kind of upside. I'm not sure if he's best player on a contending team type upside. He may be, maybe. But I know he's 20 years old. He's seven feet tall. His body's only going to fill out. He already works hard. He blocks shots. He passes. He rebounds. He scores. Interior. He shows flashes of a jumper. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't pick him. Now, you said that he doesn't fit with Jared Allen. I don't care that much about Jared Allen. Again, I like Jared Allen. I'm not paying Jared Allen $100 million, and I'm not letting Jared Allen stop me from drafting Evan Mobley. That's just me, though. So if And, and Kevin Love, you're right about Kevin Love, but Kevin Love's not long for the Cavs. He's not in the future plans. Everybody and their mama knows that. So I, you know, they'll find a way to move off of him, even if they have to eat the last two years, his contract, or maybe one more year, and then they buy him out the last year, whatever. Kevin Love's not going to stick around forever. Um, and you're right about Larry Nance, I think, uh, although Larry Nance is highly coveted around the league. So if you were going to make a deal and you think of Nance as a bench player, he's the guy then that you probably want to move because you could probably get a lot for him in return. When I look at the Magic's roster, to me, five and eight alone, and I'm not saying that you're suggesting that that would be the entire trade, but five and eight alone is not enough 
to warrant moving down from number three in an air quote three player draft. So, and when I look at the Magic's roster, I'm like, if I'm the Cavs, who do I really want off that squad? I mean, I mean, you're talking, you're looking at Cole Anthony, Terrence Ross, Mo Bamba, uh, <laughs> the ghost of Michael Carter Williams, R.J. Hampton, Wendell Carter, Gary Harris, uh, Mo Wagner, Markel Fultz, your boy Otto Porter, Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, yeah. You know he's so, making twenty eight million, by the way. We're not going to talk about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but but that roster that roster has less talent on it than the Cavs current roster does so I agree so you know I, you know the only player on there that kind of interests me might be Gary Harris um but like not that he's the best player that I named but just in terms of fit for the Cavs and you know fitting a need that kind of thing um the other thing is that you know I, I don't think Kevin Love is going to be on the move but there is a likelihood that Colin Sexton is on the move and so we have exactly. to take a quick second to talk about that uh, especially with the Cavs now having two picks in the mark draft in the top eight. Um, where, where does that leave young bull? That's, that's my thing. I, I personally, as much, and you know how much I love the kid. The kid works hard. He's really developed into a, a, a fine NBA player, but I've always said this. And I said this the day that they drafted him and the day that he improved the, the following year. I don't see him being a cornerstone of a franchise, of a championship team. I think his, I think at best, he is a fringe all-star, which means he may get to one or two all-star games in his career, but I don't see him being the cornerstone of a franchise on a championship team. And I think his, 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 at his Mac, at his best, I think he's, he's going to be like uh, a Lou Williams. Or Jordan Clarkson, where he comes off the bench and he becomes sixth man of the year. I think he has that potential. I don't uh, on the championship team. I don't think he had he's has the ability to be a star. I don't know. See, I don't know if I agree with that. Making a hundred million dollars. This is what Colin Sexton is going to be looking at, and I can't realistically pay him a hundred million dollars for a guy who's basically a point guard in a shooting guard in a point guard's body. And from from that standpoint, you know, I'm not going to pay a six man of the year, hundred million dollars. Okay, okay. Here's the thing: you're right about the salary. Okay, they're going to have to pay Colin. Uh, he's probably going to want something in that neighborhood, and that is, he would be grossly overpaid at that number. I agree with all that. Um, and I don't think. And when I said I disagree with you, it's not that I think he's like the cornerstone of a champion kind of deal, but I think he's better than most people give him credit for. Uh, I actually pulled some numbers up. Uh, I compared Colin Sexton uh, to another young guard in the league. So, if, so this, the, their career numbers, uh, I'm just going to, it's kind of like a blind test. So it's Colin Sexton versus another young guard in the league. Colin Sexton for his career, uh, three seasons now, has averages 20 points a game and three assists and three rebounds. This other guard averages 18 points a game uh six assists and three rebounds um colin sexton and this other guard shoot the exact same percentage from the floor about uh, 45.8 percent sexton is a better three-point shooter sexton is a better free throw shooter um if you look at the per 36s pretty much a lot of the same stuff like like their numbers are pretty much identical the other player 
has better advanced metrics. So the analytics like this other player much more than like Sexton. But Sexton's numbers are right on par with this other guy. This other guy that I'm talking about is De'Aaron Fox. And if you listen to people talk about De'Aaron Fox around the NBA, people think he's a great young talent. Right. And when you hear people talk about Colin Sexton around the NBA, they think he is a black hole and he's only destined to be a six man. So one guy's a, a, a starting guard on a future promising, a promising young guard on a future contender. And the other guy's viewed as a six man. You know, Colin Sexton, 24 points a game, even on a bad team, is nothing to sneeze at. And he did it, you know, shooting, you know, what was it, 40, 47% from the floor this year? I think it was 47. I, I it think was, you're right. Yeah, he shot 47.5% from the floor this year, 37% from three. He's just a shade under 40% from three for his career. Um, he's improved his assist numbers every season. Uh, he went from 16 points to 20 points to 24 points in three seasons. Like, I don't know what else Colin Sexton has to do to get respect. You know what I'm saying? Granted, it's not the perfect situation, but I just feel like, you know, if the cat, I would not give him away. There's a reason why all these contending teams are rumored to be interested in Colin Sexton. And what's going to happen is if the Cavs move off of him, they're going to get rid of Sexton and then he's going to flourish for a contender. And then what's going to happen is the Cavs are finally going to come up and we're going to be a player away. And they're going to be like, damn, if the Cavs only had one more bucket getter, and, it, and it's be like, damn, we let Colin Sexton walk out the door. You know that's how it's going to go down. So anyways, yeah, yeah. I don't want to stick too long on that point. So we have a lot to cover. So give me yeah. um, give me picks four and five back to back because five is the Cavs, four is Toronto. So give me those two really quickly. Who do you think is going for? Who, who would you select for each of those spots? For the Raptors, Jalen Suggs from, uh, uh, from Gonzaga. And for the Cavs, after trading with Orlando, <laughs> you're going to trip out on this one. Um, I'm going with Scotty Barnes, a small four from Florida State. Okay, so this is this is a little interesting. So Scotty Barnes, um, isn't how big is he? He's six What's, seven. He's uh, he's listed at six eight two twenty five. The big thing about him is is that his wingspan is almost seven foot three. So so here, let me ask you this though. Okay, so I don't want to I don't want to totally gloss over the Raptors. You know, the Raptors are in a, in a, they're in a, a in-between stage in right now. They, they, right. Well, they don't know if they're in a rebuild or not. They're, they may be trying to rebuild on the fly. They right. lucked up with That's this exactly pick. What they're doing. There, there's a lot of rumors that uh, uh, Kyle Lowry is going to get moved. I would personally, everybody's mocking Jalen Suggs, who I like, uh, to the Raptors at four. I would love to see Kyle Lowry and Suggs together for one season, just to see, just to let Suggs learn from Lowry before yeah. Lowry gets goes on his way. Like I, at least for half a season, trade him at the deadline. Like there is so much that he can learn from Kyle Lowry. I would just love that for Suggs and for Toronto, but uh, at five, Scotty Barnes. So didn't the Cavs just draft a small forward who's plays defense, but can't shoot rock for anything. Didn't he just draft a dude like that? Yeah. But I'm, but you know, how I feel about that dude. Okay. No, no, no. Let us know. Right, so, so Isaac Okoro, I've, I've never been a huge fan of his. Number one, he's in between. He's an in between guy. He's six. He's listed as six five. So primarily, he's only going to be. He's only going to be truly guarding backcourt guys, point guards, and and shooting guards. He's too small to guard small forwards. He's not big. He's not big enough to guard uh, power forwards, and definitely not big enough to guard centers. 
Scotty Barnes is is has the type of defensive prowess that he has defensive player of the year written all over him because he is the only guy in this draft that can guard one through five, legitimately guard one through five. And if you look at the Cavs, their biggest problem has never been has never been offensively. It's been about staying healthy, number one, and most importantly, defensively, because they can't stop the other team uh, guys from scoring, and they don't have anybody who's willing to commit on a defensive end. And this kid here, I think, while he has he has deficiencies from a scoring standpoint, he is the thing that I like him better than Okoro is that he's really good in transition. He uh, he actually has the ability to to put to start the break uh, a fast break on tra- in transition. He actually he actually can uh, drive to the basket with either hand. He is he has the ability. Uh, his his shot is not broken to the point where you have to reconstruct it. He just a, he just doesn't and, make him. <laughs> he just don't make him. I mean, Mark, 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 he shoots under 30% from three and he shoots under 61% from the foul line. That's bad. Think of, think about it like this, Justin, because that's the same thing. If you look at Isaac O'Coral's numbers in uh, college was not that great either. And also from, from the standpoint, Colin Sexton has gotten better. He, while he wasn't as dreadful as this kid from, from those two areas, he wasn't great either. He had to work on it, but he got his butt in the gym and worked on it. So now he's he's a re, he's has respectable numbers in both of those areas. I don't see why this kid can't be can't do the same thing. Maybe hey, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I just know that again. This is just my personal opinion. If I'm picking at the top of the draft, I I, I can't I can't I don't think I can justify picking a defense only dude at the top of the draft and like. I'm they not saying last year. I, and how'd that work out? You just you just panned him for it. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah, you I can know. find I, mean, I would have never I would have never drafted him because he doesn't even with even defensively, he doesn't have the skills that I, that I look at where he's worth drafting. Like I said, so, this so, kid here, he has a seven three wingspan. He's going and he can legitimately guard one through five. Let me let me say they this. They don't have nobody has on that team. They have anybody on that team who's even close to, to being a defensive uh, player that he is. Let me just say this real quickly. So last year I got on, I got on the mark draft and I pounded the table for Devin Vassell. I said the Cavs, that, that was actually the one time I said the Cavs would trade back. I said, if the Cavs are going to, I, the two guys I said, I liked, I said, I liked Halliburton. He turned out to be good. And I said, I like Devin Vassell. Yeah. Devin Vassell had a very quiet season, but if you look at his numbers and you compare them to Isaac Okoro's numbers, uh, Okoro's are better, but it's only because of the minutes. If you look at the per 36s, right. Devin, Vassell's, more. Exactly. Yeah, Devin Vassell's numbers were better per 36. If you look at the advanced numbers, Devin Vassell's numbers were better. And uh, and to your point, Isaac Okoro's uh, defensive uh, analytic numbers are were pretty bad. Uh, and that was supposed to be his specialty. Uh, and so, Correct. you know, I, I just, you know, I, I hear you on that, Mark. I just think you can find a Lou Dort off the street like Oklahoma city did faster than you can find an Evan Mobley, <laughs> uh, Evan Mobley, who is seven feet can shoot the rock, can run the floor like a deer and, and block shots. You want defense. Evan Mobley got defense. You want offense. Evan Mobley got offense. Like, so, I mean, again, I, I hear you though. And we'll see what you have the Cavs doing at eight. Matter of fact, let's jump ahead. Uh, give me, give me what you have for Give me four picks. If you can give me Oklahoma city at six golden state at seven, okay. the Cavaliers at eight and the Kings at nine, the Kings pick at nine every year. 
But let me know what you got there. Yes. Every single year. All right. For the Thunder, I'm I'm going Jonathan Kuminga, small four from the Congo, and also played in the G League, uh, the Ignite team. The Ignite team had a lot of talent, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Warriors. Everybody's talking about the Warriors trading these picks. I'm of the belief that they should keep both of these picks because their stars are not getting any younger anytime soon. So I'm I'm looking to, to start uh, looking for replacements in the backcourt. So at at seven, I'm looking at Moses Moody from Arkansas, the shooting guard from Arkansas. And for the Cavs, it can go a number of ways. What they need to concentrate on is Tom Sexton's replacement. So I'm looking for, for where they are right there in the draft. I'm looking at James Booknight from UConn at the shooting guard position for the Cavs at eight. And what about the Kings? The Kings, I'm going with um, Alperin Shagun, the uh, power forward from Turkey. Oh, okay. You went a little bit off the radar there. You went to the Turkish dude. Uh, okay. Uh, so let's backtrack. Okay, let's backtrack. Oklahoma City has six. They have uh, uh, 16 and 18 in the first round. So uh, Oklahoma Correct. City pretty much owns. <laughs> if this was the NFL, Oklahoma City would be sitting real pretty. Um, as it is, not so much uh, in this draft. And I think Oklahoma City is probably desperate. In fact, some people believe that Oklahoma City may call up the Cavs and give them a godfather offer for number three, like you were mentioning before, an offer that they just can't refuse. So Kaminga at six uh, to the Thunder, I, I, I could see it. I mean, interestingly, if you listen to people around the league, Kaminga's stock has been falling um, the last few days, and I'm not entirely sure why. He's super raw, um, and you could see it in his in his games with the Ignite, but he's also crazy young. He might be the youngest dude in the draft. Like, he... He was born. I was a senior in high school when that dude was born, which is crazy to me that I was that I'm man, that old that's now. Nuts, man. But but yeah, I, yeah, I was a, <laughs> I was a I was a high school senior when he was born. But he, wow. uh, but you know, which is crazy for me and crazy for you because because you're a little older than I am. And you remember when I was a young. I could see Kaminga. You know, if he goes to a team like Oklahoma City, low expectations. He's got all the physical tools. Great athlete. I wouldn't be mad at that. And they ain't winning no time soon either. <laughs> no, he got time to develop. No, they are not. Um, Moses Moody, uh, I feel like his stock has been rising. Um, he averaged 17 a game, shot 38% from three. Uh, maybe a little bit undersized as a two guard, but he looks like he's got some ability. Um, now, one thing you mentioned about the Warriors, though, is that you said that you would want Bob Myers to consider keeping these picks and drafting replacements for, for their uh, star guards because of the fact that they're not getting any younger. I think most people would think that you would go the complete other other way, that you would trade these picks because your guys aren't getting any younger. And so you, therefore you need veterans around them to maximize this window that Golden State still has, especially with Clay coming off this knee. So I think you can, you can certainly make the case, uh, or an Achilles I think Clay had too. So you can make the case that, um, you know, you could get some insurance for those guys, for Stephen Clay. But I think the case could also easily be made the other way that you want to, if you're going to draft somebody, you're going to, you want to draft somebody at a different position. They need a center, like, <laughs> like a, a person stranded in the desert needs a glass of water. Like they, they've been desperately needing a big man 
because Wiseman doesn't look like he's going to be the fit long term. Um, so Moody might work there, but, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, James Booknight, uh, New York point guard. You, you got to love that name. That's, that's a New York point guard name if I've ever heard one. Uh, but he's a guy that is rising on draft boards. So you're basically saying if you're the Cavs, you would trade Evan Mobley for Scotty Barnes and James Booknight. I know, again, I'm oversimplifying it. I get it. But I'm just saying, like, that's, that's an interesting trade. Booknight and Barnes for Mobley. It's interesting. Um, you know, he's a good athlete. Uh, he averaged 19 a game as, as a sophomore at UConn, did Booknight. So I don't know. He's, he's, uh, he's said to be an athletic and explosive type of scorer. Uh, I don't know that I would be looking to replace Colin Sexton, but it would do a lot to help out the Cavs financially. I can say that about that decision. Right. Um, and then the Kings, uh, they never know if they're coming or going. The poor Kings, they never know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> they don't. So, so they would be getting a 6'10", 18-year-old Turkish forward. Uh, this kid's probably not going to play this year. Like, he'd probably if, – if he comes over to the, to the NBA, to the States, he's probably just going to sit the bench for a few years. Would be my Not for a few years, but at least for one year and barely play. That would be my guess. I don't know. Maybe he I'm wrong about that. He's in the Turkish League at 18, though, so he's got some upside, man. True, true. <laughs> uh, and I'm not here to knock it. So the Grizzlies just made a trade. Uh, they're actually uh, now picking 10th. Uh, they finalized a deal where uh, the Grizz sent Jonas Valanciunas and the 17th pick to the Pelicans in exchange for Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, uh, and uh, two future first-round picks, which includes the, the, the 10th pick of this draft. So that's how oh, Memphis, wow. Memphis went from – oh, you didn't hear about this. No, I didn't. You actually, you actually threw, a, threw a little hook on that. I, didn't, okay. I did not see that. Okay, so yeah, so now we're gonna have to ask you to work on the fly. This is like job interview. Can you can you think on your feet? So now the Memphis Grizzlies, <laughs> the Grizzlies are on the clock mark at ten, and they uh, again the Grizzlies. You know they they went to the playoffs. They Valanciunas was a big part of it, but now they're bringing in Stephen Adams. They're bringing in Eric Bledsoe, and they're gonna get this number ten pick to go with John Morant and and Dylan Brooks, who's a ferocious defender and foul machine. Dylan Brooks and obviously John Morant, who's a superstar in the making. So, uh, so, so give us real quick. I, I'll let you give us the, the Grizzlies, give us, uh, the Grizzlies and the Hornets real quick at 11. Okay. So, Hmm. That was, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of tricky, but for the, for the Grizzlies, since they have the 10th pick, I'm going to have them pick, uh, Franz uh, Wagner from Michigan, the small forward. So that's uh, Mo Wagner's brother, his younger brother. Correct. Said to be a good playmaker. And uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, for the for the Hornets, that's tricky now because because of all this. Um, I still think that they have some issues. Uh, they have some issues at um, all over the place. I mean, they got they got Lamelo, but they really don't have a ton of talent other than that. Um, if I'm if I'm them, I would be looking for. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Usman Garba from uh, from from Spain, the power forward from Spain. To the Hornets. And I'm gonna go that route with him. 
to the Hornets. Yeah. That's one of those moves where you like you name somebody's name and then like nobody in the crowd at the draft knows how to react. Yeah, there's like Usman Garba from Real Madrid. And it's just like, oh. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> real, so real, real quick, though, uh, the reason why I have them picking him is because what they need uh, more defensive help on the front court with uh, the Hornets do. And as much as I can't stand him on, on, a, on a certain level, his game reminds me of Tristan Thompson. But he's much faster Tristan Thompson, version of Tristan Thompson, if that makes any sense. Tristan Thompson, for as 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 much as we like to rip on him as Cavs fans, he actually had a niche, had a had a had a situation where he fit into the NBA because his particular role allowed him to play for as many years and get that big contract that he was looking for. I think Usman Garba, as far as his his, his talent is concerned, because of his hustle and and the, uh, and the energy that he brings uh, brings to a team when he's on the floor. I think that's something that the uh, that the Pelicans, not the Pelicans, but the Hornets could actually utilize. So uh, let's go back to Memphis really quickly. So yeah. So so you said uh, Franz Wagner. So what I like about him, he's got some size. He's six nine. He's not as big as his brother. But what I really like about him is uh, he's 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 got some playmaking ability, which is great because it takes a little bit of pressure off John Morant. And with the thing, the thing that I think the Grizzlies really need is shooting. So if you're going to trade all the way up there uh, to to the 10th pick and they moved up like seven picks in the first round, they got, they got, you know, they got some studs at, you know, at a a lot of positions. They got Ja, they got Dylan Brooks, they got uh, uh, Brandon Clark, you know, they, they got uh, DeAnthony Melton has some, some shown some flashes. Um, They have Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, who at center and he's a center of the future in theory, but I just don't see a lot of shooting on that team. And so uh, they have, if they're going to trade all the way up to 10, they got to get somebody that can put it in the basket. I'm not so sure that it's not uh, Corey uh, Kispert from, from Gonzaga or somebody like that, but somebody that we know can, can shoot the three ball, but they, they they're going to need somebody that can stretch the floor out there. And uh, as far as the the uh, Hornets, you said I believe at eleven. Uh, I don't even know yeah. who's on their front court off the top of my head. We laughed about the Hornets before um, because <laughs> because we didn't know who their coach was. Remember that that was on the last Mark draft. Yeah, we, didn't, yeah. we didn't even know who their coach was. We had no idea. Um, the good thing about the Hornets is uh, Lamelo Ball has proved a lot of people, myself included, wrong. You know, looking at their team, they they, they have uh, Gordon Hayward, they have Lamelo, Miles Bridges, uh, Terry Rozier. So they got some good dudes there. Devontae Graham kind of fell off a little bit, but there's some talent there. But they definitely need front court help. So a front court player, and particularly one who can defend, is a good way to go. Rounded out for us, Mark Spurs, twelve Pacers, thirteen, and the Warriors again at fourteen. I had the Spurs originally before you uh, you talked about that deal uh, with uh, with the Pelicans. Um, I had them taking Garba, but now that Garba's gone, um, I think what will help the the Spurs out the most because um, I I have a feeling for whatever reason that that they're going to be losing. Uh, I can't forget. I, I DeMar DeRozan. Blank. 
Yes, thank you. DeFrozen. They're going to lose him. <laughs> He's going to be gone. Um, and I think for them, uh, you know, you talk about a team that needs shooting. I think the Spurs needs, uh, needs shooting. So I'm going to roll the dice with the Spurs at 12 and go with Chris uh, Duarte from Oregon, the shooting guard. That's my, you know, you had your guy with uh, Devin Vassell. My guy for this draft is Chris uh, Duarte. I really like this kid's game. I like him a lot. And I think he is a three-point marksman with an NBA-level jumper and and multiple multiple positions. So he is actually going to be a factor day one. And for the Warriors, just to just to round it oh, out, the Pacers. I'm sorry, the Pacers are 13. Yeah, Pacers at 13. I, uh, yeah, Pacers at uh, 13, and then the Warriors, or for 14, uh, I'm I'm sticking with the backcourt for them. Um, now it, it was a it was a toss up between two players, but I'm going to go with Davion Mitchell, the point guard from Baylor, as their as their pick at 14. And who's the Pacers at 13? Uh, oh crap! I missed. I forgot about them. <laughs> My bad. So it's okay. Everybody forgets about the Pacers. It's fine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not just me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going with uh, Josh Giddy with for the Indiana Pacers. Okay, lot to uh, touch on real quick. So uh, the Spurs, um, they love their shooting. We know that uh, they always have been. Chris Duarte shot 42 percent from three for Oregon. So that is his game. He shot 81% from the foul line. The kid can shoot it. He's a senior. He was, he's old, 23 years old, but I don't think the Spurs would be scared off by a guy who's older. Um, The the concern always with drafting older players is that they're, they're closer to their peak uh, athletically and in terms of what type of player they turn out to be. But the Spurs talent development has historically been so great that I think they can take a 23 year old and not think too much about it. So uh, I don't I don't uh, the only thing about it that is mildly troublesome is even though they would be in theory losing to Rosen, which is what you said, uh, you know, they did just take Devin Vassell last year. So if you're going to take another wing, another two guard, essentially back to back, you know, and they still had, um, you know, uh, DeJounte Murray there and uh, the kid, the kid from Miami, whose name I can't think of right now. uh, Lonnie Walker, he's still there too. So they got it's a little bit of a log jam in the backcourt for the Spurs. Uh, Josh Giddy, another name who's been shooting up draft boards. Uh, the Australian-born Giddy, uh, point guard, but he's huge. He's six eight. Um, great feel for the game. Great court vision. Um, I think T.J. McConnell, who murdered the Cavs this past year, I think he's going to be out in Indiana. Uh, so they need a point guard, and and giving a guy with some size never hurts. Uh, however, uh, Giddy. Uh, well, the, the other thing is Giddy's white, you know, he's Australian. So in Indiana, they love their white ball players in Indiana. Like that's, that's, we all know that. So it, it makes sense on multiple <laughs> levels. That's right. uh, he just needs to work on some shooting and I don't know that he can guard anybody, but, uh, but th- they'll have to, they'll have to manage around that. But Josh Giddy's name is rising. So I think Indiana would be happy to get him at 13. And then Davion Mitchell, um, that dude is a gamer. I mean, we saw him help lead Baylor to the national championship. He's short, he's undersized, but he's kind of built like a tank. And um, he pro- would provide a, a toughness to the Golden State backcourt that I think they could really use. So um, I think that this those two picks would work out really well for Golden State if, in fact, they were going to uh, stick with James Wiseman. But I don't know that they're sold on Wiseman, which leads me to believe that they still need some more frontcourt help 
because we know Draymond alone ain't going to cut it because, uh, uh, you know, he ain't been cutting the mustard for the last several years. So uh, so to recap <laughs> the mark draft really quickly, and then we'll get up out of here, y'all. Uh, the Pistons take Cade Cunningham at one. The Rockets take Jalen Green at two. Uh, the Orlando Magic trade up with the Cavaliers. They take Evan Mobley at three. The Raptors take Jalen Suggs at four. The Cavaliers trade back to take Scotty Barnes at five. The Thunder take Jonathan Kaminga at six. Uh, at seven, the Warriors will take Moses Moody. At eight, the Cavs, with their second first-round pick, would take James Booknight. Ninth uh, would be the Kings taking uh, Alperin Segun. Uh, the tenth pick to the Grizzlies is Franz Wagner. The eleventh pick to the Hornets, Usman Garba. Twelfth, the Spurs at twelve take Chris Duarte. Thirteen, Josh Giddy to the Pacers. Fourteen, Davion Mitchell to the Warriors. Mark, it's always a pleasure, man. We squeezed it in. We, we somehow got it off in time. We beat the buzzer with the mark draft so thank you for helping us uh make plays down the stretch <laughs> no problem <laughs> you, you came in with the assist or, or maybe i threw the lob to you and, and you finished it with a slam like Giannis over the suns uh at the end of game five so thank you mark always for your contribution to the hip-hop sports Report podcast thank you guys for listening this is a fun one mark draft never disappoints jay hicks mark hicks hip-hop sports Report. we out of here y'all later <laughs>